From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Friday, October 20th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and Laos sign a new five-year plan on boosting cooperation. Clashes are continuing in Gaza. Jim Jordan vows to stay in the race for House Speaker after two failed votes. In business, China is set to remove all restrictions on foreign investment access in the manufacturing sector. In sports, UEFA says none of its competition matches will be held in Israel until further notice. In culture and entertainment, Chinese publishers shine at the Frankfurt Book Fair. Now today's top stories: Chinese President Xi Jinping has been in talks with world leaders in Beijing. He's met Lao President Tonglong Sisoleth attending the Third Belt and Road Forum. The two countries have signed a new five-year plan on building their community with a shared future. They've also signed a number of cooperation documents in the areas of building the Belt and Road Initiative. President Xi told Tonglon that China is willing to work with Laos to continue deepen political mutual trust and inject peace, stability, and prosperity in the region and the world. He says China will encourage more Chinese enterprises to invest in Laos and import more high-quality Lao agricultural products. Tonglun thanked China for its assistance to Lao economic and social development. He says the Lao side is willing to promote practical cooperation, such as the Laos-China economic corridor. Tonglun arrived in China on Monday for the Third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. President Xi has also met President Arthur Lira of the Brazilian Chamber of Deputies, who is in Beijing for the Third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. The Chinese leader said the Belt and Road Initiative is highly compatible with Brazil's reindustrialization and a new ver- version of the Accelerate to the Growth program. He also emphasized that next year will mark the 50th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between the two sides, so the two countries' relationship has great potential. 
Lira said the relationship between Brazil and China has developed well, and cooperation with China has promoted Brazil's economic and social development. He said, as next year's G20 chair, Brazil is willing to work closely with China and looks forward to welcoming President Xi Jinping's visit. In his keynote speech at the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation on Wednesday, Chinese President Xi Jinping announced eight major steps to raise international cooperation on the Belt and Road Initiative to new heights. These measures cover areas from building a comprehensive connectivity network to promoting green development and tech innovation. Delegates to the forum have said the president's speech brought new impetus to the BRI as a viable way forward for the world's future. UN Deputy Secretary General Miguel Angel Maratinos praises the role the initiative plays in enhancing connectivity among different parts of the world. The initiative launched by your president Xi Jinping 10 years ago was a visionary. It's an urgency. We have to move forward in order to develop even more this kind of uh, proposal in terms of connectivity. We need a world that is interconnected. Pakistani Prime Minister Anwar al-Haq Kakar says he sees the BRI as an embodiment of the self-confidence of the Chinese nation and urges Pakistan to seize all, all opportunities this has to offer. That grand idea of President Xi is asking us to come and grab that opportunity. I see a kind of uh, self-confidence, uh, not in his uh, uh, leadership, not in just in himself, but a nation of 1.4 billion people uh, whom he's leading from the front and he's uh, confident enough to offer this opportunity uh, that there is a journey, there is a path uh, to progress, cooperation, coordination, and he's asking uh, the rest of the world uh, to join hands with China and to take this journey all along. I feel it's a moment for Pakistan for the big push, which, which the economic historian would, would call. Georgian Vice Prime Minister Levan Davastashvili notes the visions of the BRI are in line with the development goals of his country sitting at the crossroads between East and West. President Xi uh, mentioned eight priorities, especially first one uh, was uh, quality development and he first time outlined, uh, mentioned priority of uh, Transcaspian corridor, uh, Transcaspian uh, connectivity, which is uh, top priority for my country because Georgia is on the crossroad of East and West uh, connecting Europe and Asia. As an important milestone marking the 10th year of the BRI, the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation attracted guests from more than 140 countries at over 30 international organizations. Apart from the eight major steps for future BRI cooperation, President Xi also stressed the importance of an open world economy as well as global modernization. He stressed to build a multi-dimensional Belt and Road connectivity network China will vigorously integrate ports, shipping and trading services for the Maritime Silk Road. He also talked about supporting an open world economy, saying China will remove all restrictions on foreign investment access in the manufacturing sector. The Chinese leader noted that in the next five years, China expects total trading goods and services to exceed 32 trillion and 5 trillion US dollars, respectively. In order to step up practical cooperation, the China Development Bank and the Export-Import Bank of China will each set up a 350 billion yuan financing window. An additional 80 billion yuan will also be injected into the Silk Road Fund. 
Together, they will support BRI project on the basis of market and business operations. Now, for more insight, here's Professor Liu Baocheng of the University of International Business and Economics. People have realized、uh, actually through the Chinese experience, and also it's really answering to the urge,、uh, crucial need of、uh, many of those barren road countries that connectivity is really the starting point, and also、uh, play an instrumental role in、uh, bring goods,、uh, people, technology all together, and so that they can really、uh, be able to cut down the cost of doing business. And so now China has been doing a great deal. And、uh, achieved a, a remarkable success in building ports, in building the、uh, superhighways, in building the railways, and、uh, also the air transportation network, etc. And people have really benefited a great deal. So that's why you know to further、uh, enhance the infrastructure development,、uh, both on the physical structure and also on telecommunication, is something that is really the common need. Of all people, and also the participation of all those members are very enthusiastic for infrastructure development, for training、uh, of people, and also for、uh, dealing with projects. These are really considered to be strategic investment, which requires uh, the uh, credit. That、uh, need to be laid on the table on upfront level, and the return on investment may not really be very immediate. So, therefore,、uh, financing from those powerful, the、uh, banking vehicles, and also from the strategic funds, are really、uh, something that's really、uh, there to break the bottleneck.、Uh, because many of those projects、uh, need really mega. Uh, investment and, and also a long lead,、uh, so therefore uh, this uh, is there to give more confidence,、uh, particularly to the business community that they are able to go ahead and make such sort of strategic investment. And in addition, I would also、uh, wish that、uh, the more of the、uh, Belt and Road countries can really participate in such a fund instead of uh, uh, China doing the solo work. That was Professor Liu Baocheng of the University of International Business and Economics sharing his thoughts on the future of the BRI. Also on Wednesday, Chinese President Xi Jinping noted what's been achieved in the past ten years demonstrates that Belt and Road cooperation is on the right side of history. Anthony Moretti, an associate professor at Robert Morris University, says he's hopeful that in the next decade, more BRI projects will come with a focus on combating climate change and improving people's health. Big projects, and what I mean by big projects, I mean things such as transportation, ports, those sorts of items,、um, were the signature events of the first ten years. I think we're going to see in the next ten years there be a really strong commitment to things such as green energy, to issues that will or, or projects that will be good for 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 the climate, projects that also might have、uh, cachet and relevance with、uh, pharmaceuticals, food, keeping people. Healthy, those sorts of things. So, without a doubt, a, a very successful first ten years with again big projects, massive, heavy industry defining it. I think we'll see some changes, though,、uh, that will also be as beneficial in the second ten years. That was Associate Professor Anthony Moretti speaking about his expectations for the BRI in the next ten years. The Third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation has just concluded in Beijing. Resulting in a total of 458 achievements, officials and experts worldwide have acknowledged the substantial progress of the decade-old Belt and Road Initiative. Zhou Weiran has more. 
Since its launch in 2013, the Belt and Road Initiative has generated over 3,000 cooperation projects with its partner countries, involving nearly one trillion U.S. dollars of investment. Participating countries speak highly of the tangible benefits these projects have brought to local development. Dr. Chen Kiyas Reddy, Senior Minister of the Kingdom of Cambodia, emphasizes the significant economic and social impact of a Chinese-invested expressway in Cambodia.、Uh, one particular project is the super highway from the capital to the, the port of Sihanoukville.、Uh, before we have that uh, uh, highway, it takes five to six hours to get there, and crowded small road. With you have private car and trucks、uh, bringing import export product,、uh, with prone to a lot of、uh, traffic accident. But now that we have this highway, thanks to the Belt and Road Initiative,、uh, uh, the time dropped to two hours. Experts have also noted that the thematic focus of this year's forum on green development aligns well with the Sustainable Development Goals set by the United Nations. Eric Solom. Former UN Deputy Secretary General and Co-Chair of the Europe Asia Center agrees that the background color of the Belt and Road is green, as the initiative also emphasizes environmental sustainability. I think the number one success is probably what I call green corridors. That's like the Mombasa-Nairobi railroad in Kenya, or which was highlighted by the Ethiopian Prime Minister. The First trans-border railroad in Africa from Djibouti to Addis Ababa, or the Laos Yunnan railroad, or the very recently opened Jakarta-Bandung railroad, and there are many others. These are green corridors, and they're boosting tourism, which is the number one job creator everywhere in the world, and they're boosting economic growth in all these nations. He also notes that Chinese President Xi Jinping's keynote speech at the opening ceremony has outlined new directions for the Belt and Road. So the next phase is high-quality growth, people-centered. What are the demands of the people? Yes, they want economic benefits. Yes, they want high-speed rail or renewable energy, but they also want better health, better education, better libraries, more art, cultural exchange. And the softer aspects of human life. Ibrahim Alkan Gokturk is a researcher at the Turkish-Chinese Belt and Road Institution. He says, as one of the very first countries to join the BRI, Turkey has been seeking win-win cooperation with China by aligning its middle corridor plan with the BRI. Ibrahim further emphasizes that the collaboration between both sides goes beyond bilateral trade and investment. Before the BRI, most、uh, Turkish people learned about China from the、uh, Western media. In my opinion, BRI is not only economical; it's also cultural in terms of media. After the BRI, there was a pool last years.、Uh, most of Turkish people changed their idea about、uh, China and BRI. Furthermore, a consensus has been reached that the eight major steps outlined by President Xi Jinping in his speech. Which include the promotion of integrity-based BRI will elevate global cooperation to a higher level. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Zhou Weiran. Coming up, clashes are continuing in Gaza. From being questioned, slandered to being imitated, the Belt and Road Initiative has fared through a spectacular journey since its birth a decade ago. Join me, Tu Yun, for a review of the achievements and challenges the BRI has had in the past ten years. 
and how it may further reshape the world in the years to come on this week's Chat Lounge, anywhere you get your podcasts and on CGTN Radio. It's 14 minutes past the hour. Clashes are continuing in the Middle East. Israel's defense minister has told troops at the Gaza border that they will soon see the Palestinian enclave from inside as a massive ground operation is looming. More than 5,200 people have been killed in the last two weeks in this latest round of conflict between Israel and Palestine. Hamas says recent Israeli airstrikes on refugee camps in northern Gaza have killed at least 18 Palestinians. Israeli media outlet reported air raid warnings were heard in Tel Aviv and several cities in central Israel as rockets were fired from Gaza. In the West Bank, Palestinian sources say at least 12 Palestinians and one Israeli officer were killed in clashes in a refugee camp. Meanwhile, on Israel's northern border, heavy exchange of fire broke out with the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah. In light of the worsening humanitarian situation in Gaza, the United Nations is urging rapid and impeded humanitarian access to the area. John Gabriel has details. We've seen Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, as well as Israel's Defense Minister, meeting with soldiers over the last uh, couple of days. They've been looking at maps that are highly pixelated out so you can't see the details. And we even had the Israeli Defense Minister say to the troops to get ready. Now, there's been no timeline released yet on when this ground offensive is actually going to start. But judging from everything that we've seen so far and just the tempo of these punishing Israeli airstrikes that we've seen on the Gaza Strip, it looks to be potentially soon. Uh, those airstrikes have continued even in the southern part of the Gaza Strip. That's where the Israelis had told civilians to flee to to avoid the basically the pummeling that has already hit Gaza City to the north. Kind of forgotten in the middle of that are these captives. These are people that were taken hostage on October 7th from the kibbutzes and all those areas around Gaza, brought back into the Gaza Strip and are believed to be held uh, in, in the Hamas stronghold, whether underground or elsewhere. We heard some really emotional testimony from some of their families. They had a news conference in Tel Aviv. Uh, one described uh, one of the captives as being a nine-year-old boy who loved playing tennis and soccer. There was another who described their aunt as being affected by Parkinson's disease and likely not having the medication that she needs to be able to manage that illness. Meanwhile, we also saw uh, grieving family members as well as others gather at the Western Wall in the old city in Jerusalem near where I am. That's one of the holiest sites in Judaism. Uh, while they were there, they prayed, some wept openly, some called out to God, asking for these hostages to be returned. That was John Gabriel reporting from Jerusalem. Noor Harazin has been at a Rafah border crossing between Egypt and Palestine. She explains the dire humanitarian situation that's ongoing in Gaza. Well, I am here standing on the front gate of the Rafah border from the Palestinian side. And even though uh, repeatedly Egypt said during the past week that they will reopen Rafah border. However, we are standing here now and it's actually quiet. The only people here are just journalists and media crews. However, we don't see any uh, movement, any action inside the border. So this tells us that maybe uh, the Rafah border will be closed. No humanitarian aid for the Gaza Strip. However, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is Died. Even the water tanks at the hospitals or the mosques are uh, empty for two, three days now. Um, 
Regarding the uh, latest Israeli airstrikes on Gaza, there has been a series of a series of Israeli uh, strikes on the Gaza Strip. Even now, when I'm standing here at the front gate of Rafah border, we have been hearing the uh, shelling of Israeli tanks on the eastern border uh, with Gaza. That was Snor Harazin on the evolving crisis in Gaza. Meanwhile, U.S. President Joe Biden says we'll send an urgent aid request for Israel and Ukraine to the Congress. He made the announcement while delivering an address to the nation at the White House following a trip to Israel. Nick Hopper has this report. This was really all about asking for money, saying to the American people that the conflict that's taking place between Israel and Hamas, the conflict that's taking place between Russia and Ukraine, they need urgently funding. But really trying to make the case to the American people why those two conflicts that are taking place thousands of kilometers from the U.S. matter to American people. American alliances will keep us, America, safe. American values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. Put all that at risk if we walk away from Ukraine, if we turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. And he tried to thread those threats together, saying that both conflicts were a threat to democracy. He also said that giving money to the conflicts would stop American troops from having to enter the conflict, so therefore no boots on the ground. And he said that this money was urgently needed. But it is a difficult sell. Bear in mind that the US public is war-weary after more than 20 years of conflicts in the Middle East with both Iraq and Afghanistan. Those have now ended. But the US is beginning to see some waning of support when it comes to Ukraine. Polls consistently show that less and less people support giving money to Ukraine. There is currently lots of support for giving money to Israel, but that could potentially wane. And the big biggest problem standing in the way of getting any money to these conflicts is the fact that there is still no House Speaker in the House of Representatives. There's now been 17 days without a House Speaker, which means that Congress is paralysed, no new legislation can be passed. And when President Biden asks Congress on Friday for this expected $100 billion, they won't be able to pass it anytime soon until they put a speaker in place. Still difficult days ahead in terms of getting this funny, this funding to the places that the president wants to get it. That was Nick Harper reporting from Washington. China's Middle East envoy says China is deeply saddened by the heavy civilian casualties in the ongoing Palestine-Israel conflict and the severe deterioration of the humanitarian situation in Palestine. Jai Jun made the remarks during his recent meetings with Qatari Foreign Minister Mohammed bin Abdulaziz al-Luhafi and Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Mikhail Bagdanov. Jai noted that China opposes and condemns all actions that harm civilians and any violations of international law, adding the fundamental reason for the current situation in a conflict is the lack of protection for the legitimate national rights of the Palestinian people. He said China is willing to maintain communication and coordination with Qatar and Russia to de-escalate the situation as soon as possible. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Jim Jordan vows to stay in a race for House Speaker after two failed votes. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. News break. 
the Beijing Hour, Beijing Hour, your very own window to China and the rest of the world. It's 22 minutes past the hour. Turning to U.S. politics, U.S. Congressman Jim Jordan has vowed to stay in the race for House Speaker after two failed votes. Jordan's office says the chamber is suspected to hold its next Speaker vote at 1400 GMT on Friday. Capitol Hill has been left leaderless for over two weeks after the historic ouster of Kevin McCarthy. Jim Spellman has more from Washington. Conservative uh, Representative Jim Jordan saying he would not go for a third vote after losing the first two votes for the speakership. Uh, the Republicans then in the House began uh, a closed-door meetings. The, the focus then seemed to be on uh, giving expanded powers to the temporary Speaker of the House, Patrick McHenry. Uh, after going back and forth with that, there were major objections from some conservative members who backed Jim Jordan. Apparently, the meeting was so heated, people were screaming back and forth at each other, members of Congress, all within the same Republican Party. When the meeting ended some four hours later, Jordan uh, emerged and said he had changed his mind, that he was continuing his quest for the speakership, and that he would seek another vote. Listen. I'm still running for speaker, and I plan to go to the floor uh, and get the votes and win this race. But I want to go talk with a, a few of my colleagues. Particularly, I want to talk with the 20 individuals who voted against me. There are some U.S. political reporters that say that after meeting with the people that did not vote for Jordan, that he was not able to change any of their minds going into this next vote. That was Jim Spellman reporting. Former Donald Trump lawyer Sidney Powell has pled guilty in the Georgia election subversion case. According to Thursday's court proceeding, Powell pleaded guilty to six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties. Powell agreed to serve six years of probation and pay a $6,000 fine. She also agreed to submit an apology letter to the citizens of Georgia and to testify at related court proceedings. Powell acted as one of Trump's lawyers after his 2020 election loss to Joe Biden. She was charged with racketeering invasion of privacy and conspiracy to defraud the state. European Union Home Affairs Commissioner Yava Johansson is calling for further steps to be taken to protect the bloc against the risks of terror attacks. It's of absolutely a necessity that we make sure that European Union is safe from terrorist threats. And we also need to make sure that we don't have any violent anti-Semitism, any violent uh, Islamophobia, that places of worship are uh, protected, that all our citizens could feel safe in the European Union. And to do that, we need even more of police cooperation. She added that a recent attack on two Swedish nationals in Brussels is a wake-up call for the returns of third-country nationals who do not have the right to stay in the EU. The official calls for younger responses to those staying in EU countries without visas or right to asylum. EU interior ministers have expressed concern about a rise in anti-Semitic attacks, the radicalization of young people online, and the use of encrypted messaging services by criminals or extremists. They also discussed the need to speed up the deportation of people who might pose a public danger. A team with the International Atomic Energy Agency has visited Japan for its first marine sampling since the Fukushima nuclear power plant started releasing radioactive wastewater into the sea. 
Yeah, yeah. Team Watch flounder and other popular kinds of fish being caught off the coast on Thursday and brought on boats to the、uh, Hanasohama port in southern Fukushima for an auction. Uh, yeah, marine radiology scientist Paul McGinnity says the sampling process is transparent.、Um, I don't think it will resolve it. <laughs> I mean, not a complicated、uh, international political issue,、um, but I, I think certainly、um, it, it will help. So we've had、uh, two scientists here from a Chinese lab this week, and they've seen every aspect of、um, the sample collection so far. They will also accompany us to the laboratories over the next couple of days and see how the samples are prepared. So there's been full transparency about the samples that they're receiving. The Fukushima power plant started releasing wastewater into the sea on August 24th. The release, which is expected to continue for decades, has been strongly opposed by fishing groups and neighboring countries, including South Korea, where hundreds of people have protested. China immediately banned all imports of Japanese seafood the day the release began. Russia recently joined China in the trade restrictions. The head of the United Nations Systems Mission in Somalia says conflicts in Somalia continue to deal heavy blows to civilians. Katrina Lam made remarks when briefing the Security Council. Conflicts in Somalia continue to take a heavy toll on civilians. Last year, we saw the largest increase in civilian casualties since 2017. Sadly, early data indicate a similar trend in 2023, with 1,289 civilian casualties recorded so far. This is partly attributable to Al-Shabaab attacks, but also the conflict in Lassanud. The United Nations says about four million people continue to have food insecurity or in need of assistance in Somalia. Let's check the weather. Beijing is five overnight sunny with a high of 20 on Saturday. Chongqing is 14 this evening. Tomorrow cloudy and 22. Last is one overnight cloudy and 15 tomorrow. Hong Kong is 22 tonight. Tomorrow cloudy and 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 15 overnight, slight rain and 21 on Saturday. Islamabad is 13 tonight. Tomorrow overcast and 26. Bangkok is 25 this evening, then rainy and 33 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 24 tomorrow. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 16 this evening. Saturday overcast with a high of 26. Auckland is 13 overnight. Tomorrow, light rain and 19. Port Vila is raining with 24 degrees Celsius. Time for a short break. So far this hour, China and Laos sign a new five-year plan on boosting cooperation. Clashes are continuing in Gaza. So we with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. My this music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Deutsche Bahn. The 26th United Nations Climate. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you.
我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say "I love you," since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Friday. Still to come in business, China is set to remove all restrictions on foreign investment access in the manufacturing sector. In sports, UEFA says none of its competition matches will be held in Israel until further notice. In culture and entertainment, Chinese publisher Shine at the Frankfurt Book Fair. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com. Or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines. Here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Sui. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met his Laotian counterpart Tonlin Sisoulis and President Arthur Lira of the Brazilian Chamber of Deputies in his latest bilateral meetings with world leaders who attended the Third Belt and Road Forum in Beijing. Earlier, he also met the presidents of Vietnam and Sri Lanka. During his meeting with Vietnamese President Vo Van Thuong, the Chinese leader urged the two sides to fully leverage their geographical proximity and industrial complementarity. Advantages to speed up the joint building of the Belt and Road. In his meeting with Sri Lankan President Ranil Wickremesinghe, Xi Jinping pledged joint efforts with Sri Lanka to promote high-quality Belt and Road cooperation to bring greater benefits to the people of both countries. On Thursday, the Chinese president held bilateral meetings with the leaders from Pakistan, Thailand, the Republic of the Congo, Mozambique, and the president of the New Development Bank. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has met with Jean-Pierre Raffarin, special representative of French President Emmanuel Macron and former French Prime Minister in Beijing. He said, as Belt and Road cooperation enters a new stage of high-quality development, China welcomes the French side to continue its active participation and is willing to work with France to explore more third-party market cooperation. Wang Yi has also met with Kostas Grekas, a high-level representative of Greek Prime Minister and Development Minister, who is in Beijing for the Third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. He said Greece is an important partner in jointly building the Belt and Road. He also said China will join hands with Greece to push forward cooperation projects such as Piraeus Port Project and support connectivity in Europe. China has announced that it will impose export controls on graphite, which is used in the batteries of electric vehicles. An official announcement says the export of artificial graphite materials and related products with high purity, high strength, and high density will be banned unless permission is granted. Meanwhile, natural flake graphite and its products will also be banned from export unless there is permission. The control measures will take effect on December the first this year. North Korean leader Kim Jong Un has met visiting Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in Pyongyang. Kim reviewed his meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin last month in Russia and reaffirmed Pyongyang's willingness to implement the agreements reached by the two leaders. 
Kim and Lavrov agreed to actively cope with the complicated regional and international situation on the basis of political and strategic trust between the two countries. The two sides also agreed to expand bilateral ties in all fields through joint efforts. U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell says inflation is still too high, though it's turning lower over the past few months. In a speech before the Economic Club of New York, Powell noted that the central bank is striving to balance the risk of tightening monetary policy too much against the risk of tightening too little. He said that shorter-term measures of core inflation over the most recent three and six months show that price growth has slowed to below 3%. However, Powell said these measures are often volatile. Spanish acting Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez is planning to grant Catalan separatists facing legal action over the 2017 independence bid and amnesty in exchange for their political support for forming a new government. A national election in July left no party close to an absolute majority. Sanchez must pass a key vote for which he needs the backing of lawmakers from a Catalan separatist party to stay in power. The separatist party has made an amnesty law as a prerequisite for supporting Sanchez. Tens of thousands of people rallied in Barcelona earlier this month to protest against the possible amnesty, which they said cannot be used as a bargaining chip for Sanchez to be reinstated. Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez has denounced the U.S. economic commercial and financial blockade against his country. The blockade has caused a loss of nearly 160 billion US dollars since it started more than six decades ago. Data shows over 80% of Cubans were born and have lived under the US blockade, which has caused serious difficulties to the daily life of the Cuban people. Rodriguez says the blockade also deprived Cuba of the financial resources, allowing it to undertake the modernization of the electric system. The UN General Assembly is expected to consider a Cuban draft resolution on the need to end the blockade for the 31st time next month. Cuba has been presenting resolutions condemning the US blockade every year at the General Assembly since 1992, which has been widely approved by the international community. The Australian government will fast-track its plans for a national anti-racism strategy following the failed Indigenous Voice referendum. The Australian Minister for Immigration, Citizenship and Multicultural Affairs, Andrew Giles, said events of recent weeks had given the federal government a renewed sense of urgency to launch the national campaign. The governing Labour Party committed to funding the Australian Human Rights Commission to complete and implement its national anti-racism framework in the lead up to the 2022 general election. They have also been working with the Commission since November 2022 on the foundations of the strategy. Giles said that researching to the strategy has focused on how best to engage regular Australians to think through some of these issues in detail. Thanks. You, thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu. This is Sui in the Chinese capital coming up in business. China is set to remove all restrictions on foreign investment access in the manufacturing sector. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast 
We'll see you there. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. Uh, further falls among Chinese equities pushed the Shanghai Composite Index to close below 3,000 points for the first time since November last year. Uh, today they slipped another three quarters of 1%. So uh, it really is a, a, a disappointing end to the week. There was some pressure from foreign investors selling uh, on the Stock Connect. Uh, that topped more than 20 billion yuan for the week. Uh, the heaviest uh, outflows we've seen in about two months. And that proved to be a drain on both both uh, market liquidity and investor sentiment. Nearly every sector was trading lower. We saw some heavy losses uh, among tech, healthcare, and uh, the blue chip financial stocks. But uh, interestingly, companies on the Chinese electric vehicle supply chain rose uh, after the Chinese government announced that it will start requiring export permits for some graphite products. Now, graphite uh, is a, a pretty vital component uh, in pretty much every single uh, EV battery out there and 90% uh, of, uh, of this particular uh, refined kind of graphite uh, is, is refined here in China. Uh, the Commerce Ministry says uh, that the export controls are necessary to protect national security and uh, will come into effect on December the 1st. Uh, we saw stocks in the battery maker EVE Energy rising by almost 2%. But the big one, the giant CATL, uh, still ended today lower. Uh, it's also contending with a bit of fallout from its quarterly results, which showed a pretty sharp slowdown in profit growth as uh, CATL uh, loses uh, some of its uh, market share. That was Mark and Alice Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hansen Index was down over 1.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped more than half a percent. Chinese authorities say in the first three quarters of the year, the country's industrial sector maintained its ability and is planning to further boost demand to support its growth. According to the Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, the added value of industrial enterprise output has increased by 4%. Notably, the manufacturing sector has displayed robust growth with an over 11% yearly increase in investment in high-tech manufacturing. The ministry emphasized that several key economic indicators for small and medium-sized enterprises have exhibited positive signs of improvement, primarily due to the government's support measures beginning to take effect. Officials have expressed confidence in China's industrial economy's long-term solid solidity despite potential challenges. The Ministry of Industry and Information Technology has pledged to take a series of measures to promote the high-quality development of the new energy vehicle industry. The ministry says will comprehensively promote technical exploration, application and infrastructure construction. This will be done to accelerate the development of electric mobility, internet connectivity and intelligence. It will also accelerate the formulation and adjustment of technical requirements for reducing vehicle purchase tax for new energy vehicles. It will also launch access and on-road testing of intelligently connected vehicles and carry out in-depth activities for new energy vehicles entering the rural areas. China has announced it will remove all restrictions on foreign investment access in the manufacturing sector to support an open world economy. The country has consecutively revised its negative list for foreign investment since 2017, thus removing or relaxing foreign ownership restrictions in various sectors. This includes automobile, shipbuilding, and aircraft manufacturing. In October last year, Chinese authorities issued a set of policy measures to encourage foreign investment in advanced manufacturing and high-tech fields. This is a particular focus on high-end equipment, basic components, and key parts. In August this year, 
the state council unveiled 24 measures to attract more high-quality foreign investment. Official data shows that the actual foreign investment in China surpassed 189 billion U.S. dollars in 2022, an increase of 4.5 percent. In terms in terms of RMB investment in the same year, the figure exceeded 1.2 trillion yuan, or about 164 billion U.S. dollars, for the first time. In the, fir- in the first eight months of this year, actual foreign investment in China's manufacturing sector amounted to nearly 240 billion yuan, marking an increase of 6.8 percent. A Chinese LED panel-making factory in the Slovakian town of Prešov expanding its production capacity in the country. The market leader in LED panel industry has employed around 200 highly skilled workers in the town. Most panels made in the factory end up on walls from Europe to the United States. Yusa Manakovic reports in Slovakia. Inside this brand new layered factory building, hundreds of LED panels are made every day, and each one of them has to pass through the hands of a number of workers before it is packed and shipped to the customer. Here are the building blocks for the huge LED panels you can see almost everywhere these days, and the demand for those is so overwhelming that the factory needs to work 24/7. Up to 200 highly skilled workers created the display panels that end up on the walls of the buildings in Europe and the United States, earning the company around 80 million US dollars a year. It is a reason for pride, even here in Slovakia's parliament, where its speaker praised the company's success as a step in the right direction for the expansion of Sino-Slovak relations. I think in order to move the relations forward, we must not play politics. We must not see China as an enemy, but as a partner. Slovakia clearly recognizes the policy of one China. That needs to be said, and I want to say it here. Slovakia may be small, but it has a strong industrial base, and also a government that is prepared to offer its support to foreign investors. We have a good cooperation with Slovakian government, and they are supporting us. And uh, even for the employee, even for the investment to the te- new technology, and we are in close cooperation continuously with them about the support for the R&D and other activities we are planning to do here in Slovakia. Right now, the Slovakian factory only makes products developed at its headquarters in China, but that could be about to change, with plans to create a new department in charge of product development. That would mean more investment, more jobs for Slovakia's highly skilled workforce, and more money flowing into state budget. That was a Yusa Menenkovich reporting. The National Bureau of Statistics says China's home prices in 70 large and medium-sized cities were generally stable in September. A lot of first-tier cities saw home prices basically remain unchanged. New home prices in the four first-tier cities, namely Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen, kept flat month on month in September. Following a decline of 0.2 percent in August, on a yearly basis, new home prices in the first-tier cities rose 0.7 percent last month. However, new home prices in more than half of the 70 survey cities, including the four first-tier cities, maintained a downward trend last month. 45 cities reported decreases in new home prices. The China State Taxation Administration has inked tax agreements with the government of Cameroon. The agreements are designed to strengthen tax collaboration between China and the Belt and Road partner countries, and to foster an open and cooperative global tax environment that encourages mutual and beneficial cooperation. 
Cameroon's Minister of Finance Louis Paul Mantazi says China is playing an increasingly significant role in his country's development. Bien, le, le, le Cameroun et la Chine entretiennent très bonnes relations. Cameroon and China have maintained a very good relationship for a long time, and the leaders of both countries have good rapport. Our president has visited China multiple times, and the cooperation between our countries has been positively evaluated in our nation. We see that China is playing an increasingly significant role in Cameroon's development and has achieved many accomplishments. In fact, China has already been and will continue to be involved in several areas, particularly in the construction of road infrastructure and hydroelectric dams. We consider China to be a very good partner and we appreciate the work done in this regard. He adds the collaboration is a very positive development and has allowed both Cameroon and China to benefit in the long run. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up in sports. Urifa says none of its competition matches will be held in Israel until further notice. The Formula One season is nearing its end, but there still seems to be a lot for drivers to fight for. Despite Red Bull's mighty Max Verstappen's third consecutive Drivers' Championship, the battle for second is still very much on. Join us this week on Sideline Story as we discuss Verstappen's dominance, the state of Team Red Bull and the contenders for second place. We also chat about Joe Guan Yu's continuing journey in the sport, as well as the return of the Shanghai Grand Prix in 2024. It's 47 minutes past the hour, turning to sports. Here's Brendan Yates. Thank you, Suyi. We begin with football news. UEFA has announced that none of its competition matches will be held in Israel until further notice. UEFA stated that it decided after thoroughly evaluating the current safety and security situation in the whole territory of Israel. Accordingly, Israeli champion Maccabi Haifa, which participates in the UEFA Europa League, and Maccabi Tel Aviv, which plays in the UEFA Conference League, were asked together with the IFA to offer alternative stadiums outside Israel for their home matches. Israel is scheduled to host UEFA Euro 2024 qualifying matches against Switzerland and Romania on November 15 and 18 respectively. If UEFA's decision is still not in effect, the two matches shall be moved to a neutral venue. Club football returns across Europe this weekend with a host of exciting clashes to look forward to. In selected fixtures, we start with the English Premier League, where defending champions Manchester City face Brighton. There are also two huge derbies taking place. On Merseyside, Everton play Liverpool, while in London, Arsenal battle Chelsea. In the Bundesliga, Harry Kane's Bayern Munich play Mainz, and league leaders Bayer Leverkusen face Wolfsburg. La Liga giants Real Madrid and Barcelona take on Sevilla and Athletic Bilbao respectively. Finally, in Serie A, defending champions Napoli take on Verona, while bitter rivals AC Milan and Juventus lock horns at San Siro. Max Verstappen will be hoping to celebrate the 50th win of his Formula 1 career at the US Grand Prix in Austin this weekend. The Red Bull driver has won for the last two years at the Circuit of the Americas, ahead of the weekend's main event. Yeah, it's a nice number uh, that I never thought I would hit, but now that we are getting close to it, I mean, uh, we want to, of course, try and um, expand a little bit more, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. I mean, it's um, more important that we just focus on the weekend, not on the number. Verstappen took his 14th win in 17 races and clinched his third world championship at the Lucille circuit recently. Formula One's governing body, the IFA, 
the FIA, excuse me, has quadrupled the amount stewards can fine them to a maximum of 1 million euros. Many drivers expressed shock and amazement after the announcement was made. The change to the International Sporting Code was approved at a meeting of the FIA's World Motorsport Council in Geneva. It said the previous maximum of €250,000 had not been reviewed or amended for at least the last 12 years. They also believe that amount does not reflect the current needs of motorsport. Mercedes's George Russell, a director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, said the new maximum seems obscene. Spanish tennis superstar Rafa Nadal is potentially looking at a comeback to Grand Slam tennis early next year. Nadal is looking to the Australian Open in January. My first realistic option to be back on the professional court would be January in Australia. But right now, I can't really confirm something I don't know. Nothing has changed in the last few weeks, except for the fact that I'm training a bit more than before. I'm being able to train a bit more than before, which is an accomplishment for me and my mental health. Nadal could perhaps look at closing in on Novak Djokovic's Grand Slam titles haul. Djokovic has 24, while Nadal sits on 22. Rugby World Cup action moves into the semi-final stages this weekend. First up, a passionate Argentina side faces three-time champions New Zealand. Los Pumas have added Gonzalo Betrano at scrum half. The All Blacks have made two changes to their starting 15, with Mark Talia and Sam Whitelock entering the side. Whitelock is a rotational switch at lock, but Talia re-enters the frame after being dropped for breaching team protocols. Finally, defending champion South Africa play England in a repeat of 2019's final. The Springboks remain unchanged from their quarterfinal win over host nation France. England's Red Roses have brought in Freddie Stewart at fullback. Joe Marler and George Martin come into the pack to front up against South Africa's immense physicality. The location of the bobsleigh, luge and skeleton events at the 2026 Olympic Winter Games was cast in doubt after it was revealed that a plan to update a historic track was too expensive. Inter Italy's Milan and Cortina were awarded the 2026 Winter Games. The original plan called for reusing the Eugenio Monti facility for the downhill track events. The track was used in the 1956 Winter Olympics. However, the maintenance budget has almost doubled and turned too costly for the organisers. Reports say IOC officials are planning to move the sliding competitions to either Innsbruck, Austria or St. Moritz, Switzerland. And finally, UFC lightweight champion Islam Makachev's title is on the line when he faces featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi. Makachev has not fought since his last defense against Volkanovski at UFC 284 in February. Volkanovski took this fight on short notice after Charles Oliveira was forced to withdraw due to injury. Volkanovski beat Yaya Rodriguez by third round TKO to retain the 145 pound title at UFC 290 in July. Experts predict that Makachev could be a threat by grabbing a hold of Volkanovski and keeping him down. Volkanovski will need to defend the grappling and takedown attempts from Makachev. He may try to push the pace and bring the grappling to Makachev. Thank you very much. That was Brendan Yates coming up in Culture and Entertainment. The 10th Wuzhen Theatre Festival opens. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. 
Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. To culture and entertainment, Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, thank you, Sui. The tenth Ujin Theatre Festival has opened. This year's festival will run until October twenty ninth. The event features twenty eight plays presented in eighty seven performances at twelve venues. The picturesque host town of Ujin in East China dates back more than one thousand three hundred years. For millennia, the Chinese have used wood in building some of the most magnificent architectures. Examples include the Forbidden City Complex and the thousand-year-old Sakyamuni Pagoda in Shanxi. The first international conference on ancient wooden architecture in Chengdu looks into the new application of the architecture style and how the ancient edifices can be preserved. Julian Wagen spoke to organizers and experts at the forum. Built during the Sui Dynasty almost 1,500 years ago, the Wenshu Temple boasts almost all wooden structures that are in exceptional shape. This is particularly remarkable given the number of tourists and pilgrims who fly to the monastery each year. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful, and it's actually it's impressive that that it's that you know stable that it that it resists like weather and so on. Wenshu Temple is the largest Buddhist temple in Chengdu. Today, scholars and industry professionals in the field of wooden architecture around the globe convene in China to find answers and the key to better preserve and carry on wisdoms that dwell within these architectures. Our goal for organizing this conference is to summon the expertise and know-how of professionals and scholars in the area of construction and restoration of traditional wooden architecture, while drawing from the concept and skills of modern wooden architecture, so that both could co-develop symbiotically. While Chinese wooden architecture reached its peak during the Tang and Song dynasties, we could all benefit from mutual learning and cooperation with other countries. Jointly organized by China Wood Protection. Industry Association and Chengdu's Qingyang District People's Government. The conference explores the potential of timber-related materials in traditional wooden architecture construction and restoration. Restoration presents some challenges today, particularly with ancient architecture. These buildings consist of both wood and stone components, such as stone pillars and wooden beams, as well as bricks and cobblestones. However, modern scientific methods such as mechanics study them as completely separate entities, so we have a hard time analyzing them and addressing them as a whole. The ancients certainly approach things differently. Technology is also lending a helping hand. We use digital technology to create a 3D model of traditional wooden architecture. This helps us better visualize their inner structures and appreciate their wisdom and craftsmanship. One of our projects is to scan and digitize some of the local architectures in Fujian Province, dating back several hundred years, in the hope of restoring them to their former glory. Helping ancient wooden architecture thrive and evolve in the 21st century. These discussions illustrate the importance of communication and mutual learning on a global scale, and that ideas can be equally as strong as oak. That was Julian Wagner in Chengdu.
Now, China has revealed more details about two world-class archaeological discoveries: two ancient shipwrecks found at depth of over 1,000 meters in the South China Sea. The two shipwrecks, dating back to the Ming Dynasty, are located about 150 kilometers southeast of Sanya, Hainan Province. Experts have recovered nearly 600 pieces of cultural relics from the two sites. One shipwreck mainly contains porcelain wares, while the other is loaded with a large number of processed woodlocks. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with culture and entertainment. Let's check the weather again. Beijing is five overnight sunny with a high of 20 on Saturday. Chongqing is 14 this evening. Tomorrow cloudy and 22. Lhasa is one overnight cloudy and 15 tomorrow. Hong Kong is 22 tonight. Tomorrow cloudy and 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 15 overnight, slight rain and 21 on Saturday. Islamabad is 13 tonight. Tomorrow overcast and 26. Bangkok is 25 this evening. They're rainy and 33 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 24 tomorrow. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 16 this evening. Saturday overcast with a high of 26. Auckland is 13 overnight tomorrow, light rain and 19. Port Vila is rainy with 24 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: China and Laos sign a new five-year plan on boosting cooperation. On behalf of the staff, this is Sui in the Chinese capital, hoping you will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.